for those who have been, and to be clear, I have not, but to those who have been uh, hiking the Incan Trail to Machu Picchu is one of the most beautiful hikes you can do, one of the most challenging, and one of the most rewarding. Now, I have not been, but there is one in our midst who has. Just wave over there if you would. Okay, you guys talk to Marla afterwards. She'll tell you all about it. Because I told the story different in first service, but it's been corrected now. So, (laughs) now it is true that you can drive straight to Machu Picchu, but that's not the way that the ancient trail took you. Because what you could do is in a three to five day journey, you could climb up to 14,000 feet above sea level and then descend upon the city. And you have a different level of appreciation when you do that. It's very different. You have examples in your own life of of just arriving at something versus taking a difficult journey to it. And so that's that's what they would like you to do. Now, if you want to engage in this, you'd have to fly down to Peru, and you would also have to hire a guide because no longer do they let you go on the trail alone. You're going to take a guide with you. It's for your safety for your protection so that you can succeed. And, and there are so many examples, right, that in our life of the things we do that we need a guide. We need someone who's been there before, who's gone before us, that we can follow. And so today I want to talk a little bit about that guide in our life. Before we do, I just want to say thank you for being here again today. My name is Cale Courtright. We're so glad that you've been here to worship with us. Before we dive into our text today, there's two things I want to say. One, I'm looking out there. I see a lot of guys out here. I also know who has signed up for the men's conference coming up in a month, and I also know who hasn't. So right now in your bulletin, there's a QR code. Grab that. It's also on the church app. It's on the website. I would love for you to register. Go ahead and stop listening to me and do it right now. That's fine. Uh, It's going to be a great time together, so we hope to see you there. Even if you can just do Friday night, just do Saturday morning, Come and be part of that, guys. It's going to be a great time. Second thing I want to say is today we're going to be in Psalm 23. Now, people ask me all the time if I get nervous coming up here anymore. And the answer is typically no, except for today. Because that was uh, my son reading the passage for us today. I have not been that nervous in a long time. And so thank you for being a good audience for him. But, you know, in particular, I wanted to hear the voice of a child read that passage. And we're going to talk a little bit about about that passage today. So if you have your uh, Bible with you or, or the YouVersion Bible app, whatever, go ahead and turn over to Psalm 23. And Psalm 23, I think, is, is one of those that we want it to be kind of the, the message of our life, the thing that we can proclaim and confess to. And so I hope that's been the case since you've been at a, in a young age. But if not, I hope it will become your confession today. We've been in this series on the Psalms, and I really wish we could have called this, wish I had thought of this earlier, we could have called it Greatest Hits, because that's what we've been doing. We've been going through the Jewish songbook and just kind of pulling out the greatest hits. And I don't know about your, who your favorite band or artist is, but you might have their Greatest Hits album, right? And side note, if your favorite band or artist doesn't have a Greatest Hits album, then find a new favorite band or artist. <laughs> But that's what we've been doing. We've been going through this. So today, Psalm 23 is maybe the greatest of the hits. It's the one that that you probably know. In fact, my guess is is that you have a a, a friend in your life who does not know anything about church or Christianity, but they might know the Psalm 23 language because it's that famous. It's that popular. And so today, what I want to do is I want to read it again, and I want to think about a little bit about what the passage is telling us, 
um, what, what David is trying to do in the passage. And then we're going to have three lessons that come out of it today. Three ideas for how we can live this passage today. So let's read from Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, I really think that as for spiritual practices go, that we should have more scripture memorized. Uh, Psalm 22 is the scripture that Jesus is reciting while on the cross. And this is how numbers work. Psalm 22 runs right into Psalm chapter 23. And it's said that these two can kind of go together. That, that they, they are kind of a package deal. So you can kind of imagine Jesus saying, Psalm 22 to himself, and then leading right into Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. This is a very famous passage. In fact, it's become kind of our stereotypical funeral passage. That it's the thing that we want to say, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that's a good goal. that's, That's what we want to set our eyes to. That's who we want to be. That's the confession we want to make. But I would pose to you today that it's a better passage for how to live than for how to die. Because we want to live with this radical centering of God in our life. That we trust God with everything. So David starts this psalm and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. And if you were an original hearer of this text, if you heard this first, you would immediately hear royal language. Because shepherd isn't just for the people that work out with the animals, but shepherd as a word has been adopted by kings. That that a king, a good king, is the shepherd for his people. And that's who our God is. And so when we say the Lord is our shepherd, we're declaring where our loyalty lies. We give God our loyalty. We agree to submit to his reign and his rule in our life. This is who our God is. So good kings would shepherd their people. They would provide security. They would provide life. This is who our God is. In fact, when you read this psalm, you kind of get glimpses of a shepherd who would leave the 99 for the one. That's who our God is. He's not going to let anyone wander off. He will bring everybody back. But the second thing, when we declare the Lord is our shepherd, it's a confession. It's a confession that, that he is God and we are not. A confession that we commit all things to him and we put our full trust in him. That even if we don't know, we don't know how to provide for ourselves, we don't know what we need, we trust that the shepherd does. It's kind of like how a parent or for how a child trusts their parent. So if you were to ask my kids and maybe your kids or the, the kids in your neighborhood are very similar, they, they love uh, three things in particular in this case. And they might sound disjointed, but they all have one thing in common. My kids love Valentine's Day. My kids love parades, as Wayne was mentioning, where they throw out candy. 
and my kids love Halloween. Basically, any event that gives you free candy, they love. You know, a few years ago, it was, the weather was bad on Halloween, and I was just like, you know, let's just not trick-or-treat tonight. And you would have thought I, you know, suggested the worst thing in the world. Like, like what does it matter? Why do we need a trick-or-treat? Because, because, Dad, the neighbors give us free candy. I mean, can you imagine if just on a day you could just go around and you could ask for random things from all your neighbors like they're expecting it? Here you go, just handing it out. Something about free candy to kids is just, you know, mind-blowing, except for, here's what I wanted to ask them, um, what candy has not been free for you? I mean, there's not a jar in the pantry, right? Have you ever paid for anything? It's all free. You know, kids, they don't know what they need, right? They need parents. They need people in their life. And that's, that's what I think David is trying to say. Is as the sheep, as we, we are the sheep here, we don't even know what we need. We don't know how to provide for ourselves in the way that God provides. God is the shepherd. And look, look at what he says here. He uses language like he makes, he leads, he guides. And, and David is being very clear here. There is one shepherd and you are not it. There is only one in control, and it's not you. It's as if we are on that trail, hiking, but you don't have your own ideas. You follow the shepherd, where he leads. And at the center of this passage, both in its structure and theologically, is verse 4, which is, the center here is that the Lord is my shepherd, even when I walk through the darkest valley, even when I am at death's doorstep. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, what David is doing here, and he has chosen these words very particularly, because the word evil and the word shepherd sound a lot alike in Hebrew. They sound very similar. And it's as if David is putting before you a choice. Which will you follow? Which, when come to you, when fears arise, when worries, when your anxiety rises, will you follow that or will you follow the shepherd even when life is difficult? And what he says here is that, that God's goodness and mercy, goodness and love, this is who God is and those things pursue you. What he says here is that our good shepherd pursues us all the days of our life. It's, it's typically evil that pursues you, but not in Psalm 23. It's the good shepherd that pursues you. And so a couple weeks ago, we were in Psalm chapter 46, and we, we talked about our fears, right? Thanks to Matt, he, he disclosed some of mine to you. But we're not talking about these, these surface fears. We're talking about these things that are, these, these fears that drive us, that, that cause us to act and live in a way that we might not want to because we want to, you know, solve those fears. We want to make sure those worries are behind us. And maybe today, not that I want you to be afraid, but I do want you to be able to highlight those things in your life, to identify the fears that are core to you, the things that if you give them too much time are going to lead you down a wrong path because David says you can only follow one. You're going to follow the shepherd or you're going to follow and run because of your fears. So here's a couple of questions. If you don't know what these things are in your life, maybe these things will help you identify. The first thing is, what do you worry about? What's the things that 
that maybe even people around you, they don't worry about it, but you do. That, that over and over, these, this worry comes up in your life. What keeps you or, or wakes you up at night? You know, the thing that has just is on your mind, even when you want to be thinking about something else, or you want to be resting. And maybe if you can't identify, maybe ask those that you are in relationship with, those that are around you. I mean, this happened to me not that long ago, that in, in one conversation with someone, I guess I brought up the same subject three different times that, that this person said, hey, are you worried about that? And I said, no. Well, you, you brought it up three times. So you probably are. So ask those around you, what do I worry about? What do I talk about? What, what do I seem concerned about all the time? And maybe they will, in love, help highlight for you those things that you are concerned about. This passage, Psalm 23, is really about whether or not we will trust God. <clears throat> and trust is not just a rosy, romantic, optimistic thing, but rather when life circumstances get difficult, when you are in the valley of the shadow of death, will you continue to trust God? Will you follow him even if he leads you there? And so t- today, what I really wanted to title this sermon was How to Be a Sheep. How to Be a Sheep. And uh, I didn't do that, but if you want to write it down right now, you can write down how to be a sheep. Because here's what I want to do. I want to give you three ways for how to be a sheep today. Now, the first thing I did is I Googled, um, I wanted stories about sheep being dumb, because that's what I've always heard. They're just dumb animals, right? Well, here's what I found. Over and over again, people are taken up for sheep. They're not dumb, according to all these people. They're smart. And you know what? That kind of like backfired in how I wanted to tell the story. But the more that I thought about it, the more that it made sense. And it kind of fit. Because we're humans. We are the sheep in the story. And, and oftentimes we do things that, are, that maybe are dumb. We, we are led astray. But sometimes that's not why we're astray. Sometimes that's not why we're off the path. Sometimes out of our own will, out of our own thought, we have decided to leave the path that God has for us. That it's not out of, of being dumb or making a mistake, but that's where we wanted to be. We wanted to be somewhere else. Well, today, if, if your goal, like me, is to be able to confess this psalm with our life, we need to be a sheep. And so there's three things that we need to do. The first is this. We need to be prayerful. Be prayerful. Because these moments are going to arise. That you are going to be in the midst of worry, the, the midst of fear, anxiety. And in that moment, you have a choice. What will you do with it? Now, I understand what it's like. That, that's not often that you are choosing willingly. Let me go into my fears. But often you are starting down a path that you are considering your fears too much. They are controlling your thoughts, your feelings, your behavior. And there does come a time that you need to stop and be prayerful. Stop and give it over to God. I like how Jesus says it in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. He says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. See, what Jesus says here, he's not just suggesting something to you today. This is a command. His command for you is to do not worry. He's going to say, look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers in the field. Are they worrying? No, they're, they're t- completely taken care of. Here's how he finishes this section. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows you need them. I love how Jesus says that. Because he's not saying these things are meaningless. He's saying, I know that you need them. 
but you don't have to worry about them. You don't have to pursue that. I'll take care of it. Instead, what you should pursue, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things shall be added to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worry for itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. And church, this is a command to you. And I think what happens when we lean into our worries is that we, we are grasping onto control. That we are thinking that if, if I worry about it long enough, I will be able to solve it. I'll, I, out of my own work, out of my own thoughts, I will be able to, to fix this. And Jesus is saying, let it go. Give it over to me. I, I know you need those things. I'll take care of it. You seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And so here's what I want you to do this week. Very simple. I hope this is not a daily encounter for you, but there will be a worry that arises this week in your life. And I want you to choose to be prayerful about it. And so what I want you to do when that worry arises, I want you to write it down. You have a scrap piece of paper. You have a journal you write in, a notes app on your phone. Wherever it is, write it down. So you see it. You identify it. And you say, prayerfully, God, I surrender this to you. I'm not going to hold on to this anymore. I give it over to you. So write down those things that are concerning to you. We want to be prayerful people when these things arise. And the second is like it. We want to be thankful. We want to be thankful. Now, I have read before, and I cannot confirm because this is not my area of expertise, that you cannot worry, you cannot be fearful, and be thankful at the same time. That neuroscientists tell us that if you have a practice of gratitude in your life, you can actually lower those stress chemicals in your body by 23%. And again, I don't know if that's true or not. It does sound good. But more importantly than that, of whether that works or not, the, the story of Scripture, of the examples that go before us, are that even in the face of fears, in the face of death, whatever, the persecution... The call of God's people is to be thankful. And so you can read the book of Acts of Peter when he's in prison. How do they respond? With thanksgiving. Paul, the same thing. He responds with rejoicing. He says, I count it as an honor to suffer for the name of Christ. This is our, the first centuries of Christianity. We have story after story of people, men and women, going to their deaths, martyrs for the name of Christ. And they rejoice in that. They rejoice in the face of that. So, church, we need to be thankful. Because here's, I want to be able to read Psalm 23. I want to be able to declare, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing and mean it. And so many times we say that and it's, it's only words in our life. What the, what the world needs more than anything is a group of believers that say, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything else and to live it. That's what, the, that's what our world needs. And it's very difficult in our day and age. I, I will admit, it's very difficult. Let me give you a few stats. So, in 1950, the average new home size in the United States was 1,000 square feet. It was around 1,000 square feet. Just 60 years later, in 2010, the average new home built was closer to 2,500 square feet than 1,000. So, it more than doubled in 60 years. Meanwhile, in 1984, in our country, there were... 6,600 around that storage unit facilities. 6,600. Listen, I could drive from here to the Highlands and see 6,600 storage units. 
In 2022, it's estimated that we have over 50,000 storage unit facilities, storage unit facilities in the country. Now, let's say that number is double what it actually is. In the last 50 years, our homes have doubled in size, but that's not enough. We need, we need room somewhere else to store our stuff. How can we on one hand say, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, and live in such a way that we don't believe it? So we want to be able to declare that with our lips, declare it with our lives, and mean it. That when people see us, they say, how, how are you living this way? How do you have this joy, this gratitude in your life? Because if I'm being honest with you today, church, I, I want to be able to say I like nothing good, I got, but I got a list. I got things that I think would make my life a little bit better if I could add this or that. But we want to grow and move in a way that, that truly we can truly state, I lack nothing. God is all that we need. It's easy to say, but it's hard to live. And that's the call of Psalm 23. So here's what I would have you do this week. Do it one time. I would rather you do it every single day, but do it one time this week. Write down three things that you're thankful for. It could be on that same piece of paper that you surrender your worry to God in prayer, but write down three things. My guess is, is that if you start, you could fill a whole page with things that you're thankful for. And what's going to happen as you lean into gratitude about what God has done in your life, you'll, you'll start to be able to lean into the truth is that I lack nothing. I have all that I need. And let's identify those this week. And the last thing to be a sheep today is be confident in your salvation. See, what David says here is that even if I, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, God, from the beginning of time, has been the Savior for his people. He has been there every step of the way. Today, we declare Jesus Christ is our Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and we believe that. You can be confident in your salvation no matter what life circumstances are. You can be confident that he has saved you. So I love it when we read scripture. You, you are reminded of these things. At the beginning of Exodus, you see that God's people are enslaved in Egypt. And in Exodus, it says, God hears the cry of his people, and he acts. Later, they're wandering around the wilderness, and they cry out because they're hungry, and God provides. He provides shelter, protection, and even food. Later, his people are in exile. They cry out to God, and God brings them back. He saves them. Jesus himself, he lives out Psalm 23. People come to him, and he says, Lie down in green pastures. I will feed you. And there's leftovers for 5,000 people. This is our story. It's that every step of the way, God has secured our salvation. God has been our Savior. This is who Jesus is. This is who he declares himself to be. In John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd, does not own the sheep. So when, the, when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep. He runs away. The wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. See, before you asked, before you knew you needed it, Jesus said, I will make the way. I will lay down my life for you. 
This is who our Jesus is. Jesus is the one who restores our souls. Jesus leads us on the path of righteousness. He accompanies us through danger. Jesus spreads his holy supper before the presence of our enemies. And Jesus pursues you all the days of your life. That's who he is. So church, you can be confident in your salvation. You can know that whatever's going on in your life, you have a place with him. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. This is who our Jesus is. So when you're around church enough, you, go to, uh, you, you end up going to some funerals. And there are good funerals and there are bad funerals to go to. And you've probably been to both. My least favorite funerals to attend are the ones that you know the person did not live how their Heavenly Father would want them to live. And there's always this tension of, of trying to say nice things, but in a Christian funeral context of saying, he did not live as the Lord was his shepherd. And see, you've also been to the other type of funeral, haven't you? And those are the ones we call the celebration of life. The people who, who lived in the presence of God day in and day out. The people who followed God as their shepherd. And church, that's how we want to live, isn't it? That we want to live in such a way that we say, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. No matter what the world throws at us, no matter what life throws at us, we can say that we have confidence in him. This is who our God is. And today, if you have not entered into that salvation with him, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we would love to talk to you about that today, about how to make that decision in your life, about how to engage him in baptism. So our shepherds and their wives will be around the room as we close here. We would love to help you take those first steps into faith with him. And know this, that every step of the way, our God is faithful. That he will always be there for you, no matter what life throws at it. And so much so that when you get to the end of your days, you will say, I have dwelled in the house of the Lord forever. In John's revelation, he looks up and he sees this very scene played out. And so to close today, I would ask you to stand with me as I read this passage as a blessing over you. In Revelation chapter 7. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will beat down on them. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen.